hadn't even started preaching. I'm already crying. Sorry about that, but it was a good, good time of worship. And uh, obviously, I'm not Cody Hale. Um, <laughs> nobody clap. Um, but our, our pastor is, is taking a much needed um, rest and vacation. And so I, I would just ask that you would pray for, for him and Megan and those beautiful girls and that they would be able to relax and be renewed and be ready to come back and, and lead us and, and teach us and, as he does so well. And uh, I know most of you know me, but I always hate it when a speaker gets up and they just go to speak and you have no idea who they are because some of you don't know who I am, but my name is Alan Easterwood and I have the privilege of serving as an elder here at Iron City. And we've been here now, I think we're working on our 11th year here at the church. So we're not uh, long time, but we're not short time. So that really doesn't matter, does it? Um, so we love this church, and I, I appreciate the opportunity to, to speak in Cody's absence. And before I get started, though, you, you, don't, you get very few opportunities to really embarrass your children, but my youngest daughter is uh, Mallory. There's Mallory right here. Mallory, put your hand up, okay? Just to, she, you know, Mallory's an extrovert, as y'all know, uh, or, or not an introvert, but today is sweet 16. So let's give Mallory... Today, today's sweet 16, so happy birthday, Mau Mau. Um, I love you, and uh, we'll celebrate later. How about that? Right now, I'm going to preach. Is that okay with you? Okay. So, uh, I got a, a letter addressed to Iron City Baptist Church. So, I am, I am actually going to use the Word of God and preach, but first, I wanted to read this letter to you. I can see it. I wrote it in really big font so I can actually see it. Uh, Dear Christians at Iron City Baptist Church, so if you say you're going to be serious about living this so-called new life with Christ that you've got, then act like it. Go after the things that are all about Christ. Don't go through life just going through the motions. Wake up. See what's going on around Christ. That is where the action is. See things from his perspective. After all, you have died to yourself and Christ has sealed you for eternity. Signed, Paul, the apostle in chains for Christ. Now, honestly, and obviously that letter was not actually from Paul. But that was a paraphrase of the first four verses of chapter 3 of Colossians. While Paul was in, in prison in Rome, he wrote this letter to the Christians that were living in this small little city of Colossae. And I started to address the letter to that small little church on Highway 9, somewhere close to Heflin in White Plains with Oxford right up the road and Jacksonville right over there. It's very similar, a little small church, kind of like us. And so imagine that you're receiving this letter and Paul is writing this letter to you. And the reason that he's writing it to you is because there's been some false teaching that has arisen in that church. Some, some Gnosticism, some asceticism, things that are you know, big words. But basically, we, there are so many false teachings. It sounds very similar. I don't think this, is, that this letter is much different from the way things are today to you. Because there are many false teachings uh, that are happening today that are fighting for our attention. There are well-known preachers who will say to you, and I'm sure some of you have heard this, that your best life is now. It's not. 
Your best life is not now. Your best life is to come. There are many preachers who will tell you that if you, if you give enough money, then things will go well for you. I've met a lot of people in this world that have prayed for things to come and asked for money and asked for riches and wealth and it doesn't always come in the manner that, that we think it's going to come in. And there are all types of false teachings going on. There's many watered down versions of the gospel that are being preached. Men who will stand up here every week and just won't preach what the word says. They'll get to a certain section here and what do they do? We better skip that because it's going to step on too many toes or it's going to, going to make too many people nervous. But there are men who are, who are preaching watered down versions of what the gospel is. But the, in the world, the world will teach us. What will the world say about Christianity? The world will say that Christianity is narrow-minded. It's irrelevant today. It's out of touch. But Paul has something to say about all of this. So listen now to the actual verses from Paul's letter of chapter 3 of Colossians. This is, this is verses 1 through 4. I'm not going to ask you to stand today. There are 25 verses I asked Jennifer, should I make everybody stand and read all 25 verses? I know Cody does that when they're long. Um, but I'm being honest with Cody. I check out after about five verses. You guys, y'all being honest with me? So I'm not going to do that. We are in Colossians chapter 3. I do want you to follow along with me. So if you, if you have the word with you uh, in whatever form it is, a tablet, whatever, if you'll follow along in Colossians chapter 3, um, these first four verses. And, and this is the letter I read to you. There was a paraphrase, but here's what the scripture actually says. And uh, Matthew's got it on the screen for us. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. In those first four verses, Paul is saying that we should live with a heaven theology. I had a pastor in one of my previous t churches. That was his, one of his favorite terms, that we should live with a heaven theology. And Cody's talked about this recently. This is not your home. This is not where you're going to spend eternity, Christians. So we need to, we need to live our life thinking of that with a, with a heaven theology and seek the things that are above where Christ is. We need to set our minds on the things above and not on the things of this earth. Well, that's easy said, isn't it? <laughs> Hard to do. Who in here right now is not even listening to me and you're thinking about uh, your budget? How much money can you save in 2019 for vacation? Oh my gosh, daycare costs. If you have Lauren in the room, everybody raise your hand who's not even paying attention to me because you're, you're thinking about all of those things. Your minds are not set on the things above and on the things of the earth. And, uh, what he says here is you, you have died and are hidden with Christ so you better act like it. That's the title of my lesson today. I don't know, is it in the bulletin? I don't know. The title of the lesson today is You Better Act Like It. I tell the young people in my Sunday school class all the time, I, it's hard for me to refer to you guys as young people because I feel like I'm one of you, but I'm the old guy, supposedly with some of the wisdom. I don't know, ask, ask them, John. I don't know if there's much wisdom, but uh, I tell the young people in my Sunday school class all the time that nothing fires me up more than to see Christians believers, people who say that they follow this book and they follow the guy in here named Jesus, that he means everything to them, that what's inside of this book means everything to them, and yet they don't act like it. I say they, and yet I don't act like it. I get in a little pressured situation. I get pinched. Some topic comes up. 
There's something being discussed at work. And all of a sudden, everything, everything that I say I live for, that means everything to me in this book, all of a sudden, you know, if it's going to benefit me, all that goes out the window, right? It just goes out the window. Nothing fires me up more. I'm guilty of it myself, but he's telling us what Paul is saying is it's, it's time for us to act like it, okay? For the past month, Cody's preached on the advent of Jesus, the coming of Jesus and who he is and, and the grace that we receive in him. And I, I just want to make sure I make this point. It's not even in the notes. Don't leave here today feeling beat up from me that I've come in here and, and I've spoken to you the way Paul is in this letter and just beat you to death and you leave thinking, I can't do this. But you know what? You can't. You can't accomplish it. You can't do these things on your own if it's not for the grace of God in providing Jesus as a substitute for us to take the place of our sin then we're just in trouble. So don't leave here thinking that grace isn't in existence because it is. We have grace. But we worked all these past four weeks. Cody set us up. He worked our, to set our minds on the things above. We worked to set them on the supremacy of Christ and who Christ is and who the Christ to come is as we await for his return. And Paul says that if we truly set our minds on the things above, that we have died with Christ and then our lives will look like what he describes in the rest of Colossians chapter three. So, so now he's, he's talking to these new Christians. These are new Christians at this church. And he's telling them, hey, now that you have this new life in Christ, you better act like it. And now that you have this new life in Christ, you now have the power to overcome sin. Look at verses five through 11 with me. Power to overcome sin. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. I don't know if you're like me, but you, you hear those scriptures and you read the word and sometimes I come away from it. I've got it in my notes here. Well, great. Thank you very much, Paul. But that is easier said than done. Did you, did you look at the list of these things here? I mean, are you listening to the list of the things here that he is saying that we're to put to death? Paul, Paul, he's serious about this. And I come away from it going, how in the world do you expect me to do this? When he uses the word dead, I think he's serious, don't you? He's serious about sin. And many times I treat it very flippantly. It's a mistake. It's somewhere I messed up. I like to make it really pretty. How about you? Make it, make it sound really, really pretty. But Paul is serious about sin. He says we're supposed to be dead to it. Well, how, how can we do this? I, I can't stand it when, when guys speak or preach and you come away from it hearing a bunch of words and reading a bunch of scripture and you leave and you go, I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> Anybody else with me? Okay, I mean, what, how about, how about when I show up Monday at work and the real world comes and slaps me in the face? How about, how do I apply it then? What do I do? Well, for one thing, we had to put ourselves in the right position to be successful. You gotta, you gotta put yourself in the right position to, to, to be able to do these things that, that Paul is talking about. As you know, um, I had the ability, I got to preach when we came back from adopting Maddox. We've added a little guy to our family. We've got him 22, 20, 
16 today, Mal. 16 and three in February. Okay? And so you're thinking, y'all are, y'all are crazy. I, t- I tell people all the time when they say, how's he doing? How are you guys doing? I say, well, <laughs> he's either going to make me really young or he's going to kill us. Okay? And I think I'm going, I think I'm going with the latter. If you, if you see us most of the time, he, he's just, that little guy is just, <laughs> just beating us to death. But man, he's, he's such a joy. We love him. But he's constantly, constantly into everything. I mean, you guys have seen him when he's coming here. I mean, he, just, he wakes up, his eyeballs open, and he's 90 to nothing until his eyeballs close, okay? And everything, you know, he's, he's been institutionalized in an orphanage for two and a half years, so everything's new, everything he sees. Wants to pick it up, wants to touch it, okay? So what is, I could, I could ask the, my family, what is our phrase that we have said the most, most recently? Don't touch that. Anybody with me? Anybody, anybody got little ones, okay? Have you ever tried to iron your clothes with a three-year-old, I have said, don't touch that, that's hot, so many times, it just drives me insane. Everything he's picking up, he's touching, he's, he's broken stuff that I don't know how he's broken it. Metal things, iron things, they're broken. And so we're constantly saying, don't touch that. So here's what he does, your, your kids do this, okay? So I'm trying to iron my clothes, don't touch the iron, he's, he's got his hand, where's his hand? I mean, here's the ice that, you, you tell me, you got it. It's that close to the iron, okay? It's about to touch it. And he'll do that and he'll get right up to it and he'll look at you with this beautiful, sweet little grin, this cute little face. And he'll say, don't touch it. <laughs> the place to fight temptation is not with your hand almost on the object. You with me? You don't fight temptation with your hand inside the cookie jar. Young people, you didn't think you don't get off the hook, did you? Young people, you don't fight temptation in the back seat of a car or alone with your boyfriend or girlfriend off somewhere where no one else is. And you're thinking, oh, here's that guy up here being mean to us. I was a teenager. That's not where you fight it. You fight it here. Before you get in those situations, you make decisions ahead of time that you're going to put yourself in a position where you can be successful. You don't fight it watching a binge Netflix series. <laughs> there's some good ones, okay? I love some of them, but well, there's some, you know. They're just not very good. And this just doesn't apply to the young people. I'm guilty of, of justifying lots of things. Watching some things for, you know, for myself because, you know, there's that one series, and I, I love it because it's got a really good storyline. Y'all with me? The storyline and the plot is just so interesting. It's very intellectual, Andrew, like me, okay? It's very intellectual. And so I can, I can really get into it and follow along with it. Or we'll so easily say, well, it only had just a few inappropriate scenes. You with me? How many times have you had that conversation with somebody? This is what, hey, I'm about to fill my mind with something. I'm about to fill my mind with this series. And it's only got a few scenes that are bad. Morgan, we've had this conversation. You can fast forward through it, right? I'm not saying that. He's saying that. I'm saying that. Well, you know, I just fast forward through that part. Eh. Paul says to set your mind on the things above. You can do it with the Holy Spirit's power. If you go into this thing on your own thinking you're going to handle it on your own, it's not going to happen. What does this look like for you? Again, application. What does this look like when you show up at work on Monday? What does this look like when you're raising kids 
tomorrow. I started to just start out and say guys and talk to the guys, but then I put guys slash ladies. You don't ride alone in the car with someone that's not your spouse. That's how you fight it. He's talking about all these things, sexual immorality, impurity. Many, many times when I was a, a young man and in the work world, and I, I would get ready for a meeting. I think, boy, it would just be smart if we all ride together. And then you get in the car and you're a grown man and she's 22 and all of a sudden you're in the car and you're, is your mind set on the things above then? I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe you guys are really strong and able to do that. But you got to put yourself in positions to be successful. Men, you don't give emotional support to somebody else's wife. Did you know that? When they're really struggling and they need something and they're not getting it at home, nobody's helping them at home and they just really need some emotional support. It's not, let me tell you something. I'll just answer this for you, make it real easy. It's not from you. Amen? It's not from you. You got to put yourself in a position to be successful because when you start giving the emotional support, the next thing you know, you're giving them some emotional support and the next thing you know, it's gone to another level and the next thing you know, you don't have your marriage anymore. We got to put ourselves in a position to be successful. You got to put controls on your phone, on your computer that alerts somebody else. John's told me about this. I think you guys have this in the office. Put alerts on your, on your phone, put controls on there so when you go somewhere that your eyes shouldn't go, something's going to fill your mind that's not the things above. Somebody else finds out about it and you're accountable to them. And John comes to me and says, what are you doing? Because that's a big problem. We just don't get involved in each other's lives, do we? It's all private. Don't get mixed up with me. Don't get in my life. I had a, a, a chance this last couple of weeks to get involved with some guys in my Sunday school class. And you just, I let them in here. I let them in here. <laughs> Golly, they encouraged me to death. They just encouraged me to death. And I came away from it, coming back and telling Jennifer, this kid just, God, he just lifted me up. We got to let people into our lives. We got to put these controls in place to be successful. And then verse 10 talks about being renewed in knowledge. Anybody ever have any continuing education classes with their work? And, you, and as soon as you hear, you got to go to it. What do you do? Oh, nobody wants to do continuing education, but Christianity is a continuing education. The process of sanctification of becoming like God is a lifelong deal, and you should never stop learning. But you know what? You can't do this. You can't, you can't do this in this continuing education if this is a foreign book. If this is foreign to you, you can't do it. Listen to some of these stats. This was in, this is in one of our, excuse me, this is one of our recent Sunday school lessons. I don't know if you remember this, but listen to these statistics. Almost 90% of American households own at least one what? You said it, Bible. 90% plus have at least one Bible in their house, including nearly 70% of non-Christian homes. Would you think that? Non-Christian homes. Everybody's got a Bible, right? In their house, Okay. Listen to this, only one in seven adults reads the Bible daily. 90% of homes have one that are Christians, 70% they're non-Christians, and one out of seven actually reads the Bible daily. Bible illiteracy in our homes and our churches pushes us where? Sideline. If we're illiterate about what the Bible says and these conversations I mentioned earlier come up, you're on the sidelines. We're just, we're just standing there watching and, and many of us and again, it, it feels like I'm beating you up. I just want us to, I just want us to get it. I'm, talking to, I'm preaching to me as well. I just want us to really get it. The world needs us to act like it. Really, right? The, the world needs us to act like it. They need to see Christians doing what Paul's calling to do here. But many of us don't even know basic verses that are the core of our faith. 
I'm not going to do this to you, but I bet if I went around and just pointed and picked somebody out and said, somebody tell me what John 14, 6 says. How long would it take maybe for somebody to jump up and yell it? It's a core, it's a core value of what Christians believe. But our illiteracy is pushing us to the sidelines. I am the way. Somebody help me. The truth. The life and no one comes to the Father except through me. How can you even have a conversation with somebody about who God is and what grace is if you can't explain to them that nobody gets to God except through Jesus? Are you with me? We've got to be able to be in the Word. It's got to be a a continuing education program. Not for knowledge's sake. Not so you can be puffed up. Not so you can sit down and have a theological debate and somebody say, man, he's so smart. So you can tell them about grace. So you can tell them that without God, you're just nothing. You've got no chance. The last witnessing, real witnessing encounter I had with somebody, I said, you know what the difference between me and you is? One thing. Because you think I can't come to God. I'm this, I'm that, I'm this, I'm horrible, I'm this. My Sunday school class is going to love this. I'm a reprobate piece of trash. And so are you. Only difference between me and that person I'm talking to, I've actually accepted that the guy in this book is real and that he really died for my sins and he covered them. That's called grace. Verse 11 tells us that at Iron City Baptist Church, there should be no barriers of race, social status, education level, you name it. I wonder sometimes are we truly reaching people and what does it say about the prejudices in our individual lives when our churches are not diverse at all. What do you think? Most churches look kind of like us. They're just not, not very diverse. Mallory, thank you for you know, representing the Asian folks in here this morning. There's some, there's some other folks here this morning that are not just white people. You know what? I've, I've gone to Swaziland in Africa many times, and I believe I got a little glimpse into what heaven's going to look like because I went to, to Vanderbilt. I'm not even pronouncing that correct. Baptist Church. And those of you who have gone with us to Swaziland, I don't know who's in here, who's been, but we've, we've been to this church. This is the church in Johannesburg that Ann and Steve Mann attend. And I've, I've kept this in, in my Bible because the preacher was preaching one day and he stopped for a minute and he said, there are 17 different nationalities, 17 different nationalities sitting in that congregation. You know what? The way they talk, their dialect, their language, what they look like, the color of their skin, didn't make any difference. Didn't make any difference. They just loved each other. Color didn't matter. I remember the first time I went to Swaziland. I thought, how can I relate to these people? Stop with me for a second. These people. What does that mean? What does that really mean? What does that mean? What does that mean right here? These people. Black people? Africans, people that don't look like me, people that don't talk like me, people that have a different culture from me. I'll never forget what God did to get my attention. I've told this story so many times. I was sitting in front of an older black African man because you do realize that Africa is a huge, huge continent and there are white Africans. This older black man from from Swaziland sitting in front of me, this is during a time of worship at a 
at a pastor's conference where I've got all these questions in my mind. How do I connect with these people? They were singing a song in Saswati, their, their language, and I couldn't understand it. So I'm, I'm, I'm frustrated even more. First of all, we don't look like each other. We can't communicate. Now you're singing a dead gum song in Saswati, and I can't even sing with you. And so I'm just singing along in my, own, in my own mind, saying my own things. As I continued to sing, I realized that the man behind me, he wasn't even singing in Saswati, but he was softly saying over and over, there is none like you, God. There is none like you. There is none like you, God. There is none like you. There is none like you, God. There is none like you. In that moment, I finally realized here was our connection. It was God. It was Christ. The same God that I worship sitting here in these pews with you is the same God on the other side of the world. That this man who looks different from me, has different colored skin, has a different dialect, a different language, is worshiping the same God that I do. And there was my connecting point. Christ. And I'm sorry, older generation, we don't get to say, well, this is the way that he or she was raised. You ever heard that one? Well, I'm sorry, young person, but that's how it was when I was growing up. Young people. Well, everybody talks that way. Everybody says that kind of stuff about those folks. You know what? It was wrong then. It's wrong now. Remember what Paul is saying here. He said, Paul's not saying, hey, just kind of deal with it a little bit and hope, hope you can handle it. He's saying put this stuff to death. So it wasn't okay then. It's not okay now. So you've got this new life and now you have God's power to, to become a minister of reconciliation. Look at verses 12 through 14. Somebody's somebody going to have to shout me down because I have no idea how long I've been up here. Cody told me he went 52 minutes a couple weeks ago. I'm not going that long. But go with me. Verses 12 through 14. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I have a friend who lives in Evansville, Indiana. I've been friends since Jennifer and I got married. They got married about the same time. Known them, loved them forever. But they helped start a new church. I remember we went to a service there one time, and they had started in a hotel meeting room. So it was already this odd atmosphere. You know, you go, in, you go to a hotel to go to church. You go in this, this meeting room, and there's just chairs put out, and the preacher preaches something very similar to this text on reconciliation. He gets finished, and at the end, this man stands up and says, I'd like to say something. When that happens, what does everybody do? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, my goodness, what's this guy fixing to say? Okay. He tells the crowd, I'm a new Christian. I've, I've recently become a Christian. And there's a man here, and he called the man's name, and he said, we've worked together for, for 25 years. And I have treated him horribly for 25 years and he said I want to publicly confess in front of this church and him that I was wrong and I apologize and I love you that's a new Christian who gets it that's a new Christian who had instant forgiveness and reconciliation those two guys came together I'll never forget it you remember this Jennifer they came together right there in that hotel meeting room and embraced and hugged and cried and, then the, and the other man forgave him. 
right there on the spot. Most of us can think of somebody that we need to forgive and reconcile with right now. They're in your mind. Right now you're thinking about them. I promise you. There's somebody that you need to, you need to reconcile with. Are, are, they, are they here today? Are they in your Sunday school class? Are they next to you at work? Are they, hey, how about this one? Are they in your own family? We've been talking about that a little bit in our class, haven't we, Sunday school class? Are they in your own family? The key to forgiving others is remembering how much God has forgiven you. How, how can we not grant forgiveness of what God's done for us? Or, may, or maybe the person... You're the person of whom the forgiveness is being asked. Well, Paul deals with that. Look, look what he says, how to respond in that situation. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. <laughs> how often do you react like that when somebody's coming to you? And we react with those things. And it was just incredible to see those verses acted out that day right in front of me. And we le- later learned as we followed up with them that these guys established a, a very strong relationship based on the end of those scriptures there, based on, based on the love of Christ which is what binds all of those things together. So you've got this new life in Christ and now you've got the power, God's power to enjoy a life of peace. Look at verses 15 through 17. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. You know what the word rule really means? It means to umpire. Rule means to umpire. Our hearts are this big center of clashing, right? Everything's in here. My wants are in here. My desires are in here. My feelings are in here. My emotions are in here. So you've got this big clashing going on. And this is telling us to let the peace of God be the umpire in your heart. Well, I mean, that's difficult. I thought thought about when I was growing up, I loved playing sports. I played them all. I loved it. I just just lived it. That's what I did. But you know what? If you've been around me long enough, I was also a little bit of a punk. Anybody a hothead? I'm not saying it's good, but I'm saying at one point, I was a little bit of of a punk, a little bit of a hothead, a little bit of a run that mouth. And so me and a referee and an umpire, we had lots of conversations. Anybody else in here like that? Okay, when you're playing ball? Or maybe you're a coach. I know some of you guys, you're a coach and you and the, you and the ref, the umpire, you have a few conversations. And uh, but you know what? All that arguing that I did, it never got me anywhere. Because who's got the final say so? The umpire, the ref. I remember being in church when I was dating Jennifer. Her father was on staff at the church and we're playing a church league basketball game because church league is serious stuff, right? Everybody, I mean, you play in church softball or basketball, volleyball, it is on, okay? You are serious. And this referee was horrible and I may have said something to him like, if you continue to work really hard on your, on your refing skills, you're gonna get to move up from the junior high stuff to the, to the varsity one day. If you really keep working hard on it. What? You're out of here. Kicked out. And in church, league, you, don't, you don't get to just leave the court. You got to leave the building. Okay? I remember it like it was yesterday. I walk up those stands. I walk up those steps. And I'm mad going up into the sit down. And Jennifer's up there. She's come to watch me. And I sit down beside Jennifer. She got up, walked down the steps, and left the building. Thank you, honey. I appreciate that. Left me sitting there. All that arguing got me nowhere because the referee and the umpire had the final say so. And so it's the same thing with God. 
we wrestle, we argue. Let his peace rule in your heart. If you really trust him, you believe this book and you seek him in it and he tells you to do something, don't be like the waves getting tossed back and forth. Just do what he's telling you to do. Let, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell on you richly. Dwell means to be at home. Who loves to just be at the house? I love just to be at the house with my family. I, when Saturday rolls around, I'm not the guy that just wants to get gone. I just want to be at home with my family and dwell with them. And I just love how that feels. You with me? Just love how that feels. And so I, I ask you, is, is the word of God like that in my heart? There's no way that the word of God can be at home in my, my heart again. Like we said, if this is a strange book, if this is a foreign book. You know what? Every time I tell the Sunday school class, every time I spend time here, that's one of the reasons I, I love teaching because you're, you're held accountable. If you just show up and just put something out there and it ain't where it just stinks like a dead fish. You never do that, Russell, but I mean, if you put something out there and it's a dead fish, people know you hadn't studied, you hadn't prepared, you hadn't been in the word of God, but you know what? Every time that I get here and I earnestly seek God and spend time, you know what he does? He just speaks to me. He does. He just speaks to me through his word. And you know what? That's where he does it the most. He can speak to us lots of ways, lots of different places. He can, you can be on the water, you can be hunting, you can get God and he will speak to you. But this is it right here. Speaking to him in prayer and spending time right here, this is where he speaks the most. Andrew, here's your buddy. I mean, here's your verse, buddy. Okay, here's your verse. Second half of verse 16. Singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We did it this morning. Man, worship should be the overflow of your heart. I bet everyone in here has got a secular song in your mind that gets your juices flowing. Makes you want to break it down a little bit, Andrew. What do you think? Huh? Everybody, right now you're thinking about the song, okay? Maybe I'll get in trouble for this. I love some ACDC back when I was growing up. Anybody else an ACDC fan? Okay. Some bad stuff there, okay? But you can listen to the good stuff. Good music, right? No lyrics, young people. Lyrics, were, you know, just don't pay attention to those, the, the music. But I got some, there's some ACDC, some Def Leppard. Who's the 80s people, okay? Some good Def Leppard. I'm a closet Justin Timberlake fan. Brandon Justin Timberlake, I mean, he can just move. I wish I could dance like that, okay? Some of his songs come on, I just, I just get ready to get after it. And then here's one, you're gonna love this, Mallory. Mary-Kate's not in here. BTS, y'all know who knows who BTS is? Anybody? Korean boy bands, did y'all know this? I see Abby raising her hand over there, you know them. Number one on the, on the billboard charts, like huge all over the world, Korean boy bands, okay? Some of their stuff gets me pumped up. And I get that song in my head, I bet when y'all get to the house alone by yourself, or maybe with your kids, y'all, there's some singing going on, some dancing. I see people laughing, y'all doing it. You're dancing all over. You're going crazy, okay? And you're thinking about those, those songs and it gets stuck in your head. You're singing at the top of your lungs. But you know what? I got to thinking none of the folks on any of those groups or singers or whatever, none of them have done a single thing for me ever. And there's nothing wrong with enjoying music and getting excited and singing, but they've never done anything for me. You think about when you're singing with thankfulness and gratitude of everything that God has actually done for you, the fact that you're sitting here right now, the fact that he inspired this word where you can hold it and open it and read it, and there are people just would give anything to get a copy of it. These people hadn't done anything for me. God's done everything for me. So we should be singing with gratitude and thankfulness to God for all that he's done. I, I, I love sitting over here on this section. I don't think Daniel's here this morning, but Daniel... 
Paul will sit over here and that, he can't sing a lick. I'm just here to, or the pastor, you, you know this dude, John. I mean, Cody, I'm sorry. Cody, I love talking about people who aren't here, okay? <laughs> Stand beside Cody, that joker. Kelly, can he sing? He's your son, tell the truth, okay? He can't sing a lick. You know what? He, he, he doesn't care. You know what he does? He sings to God because he's got gratitude and thankfulness in his heart. And he does, he just worships God. I love to stand beside those guys and just scream with them. We got to have that gratitude and thankfulness. And then verse 17 says to do everything in the name of the Lord. It doesn't say to do some things in the name of the Lord. It says, it says to do all things, home, work, play, no matter what you're doing, ask yourself, am I doing this in the name of the Lord? Here's an easy thing for you. If your answer is yes, guess what? Good to go. Go ahead. Go with it. If the answer is no, maybe, maybe stop. Back up. Check it. Everything. It doesn't say pick and choose. It says do everything in the name of the Lord. So you've got this new life. We've listed off all these things, and now you've got the power God's power to strengthen your relationships. Look at verses 18 through 21. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. First, the relationships are strengthened at home. Verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Man, I remember the first time I read this verse. <laughs> About a senior or so in high school dating Jennifer. She came to the school about ninth grade and secretly wanted to date me for three years. But she was best friends with my twin sister. I know she secretly wanted to date me. And then finally, finally, halfway through our senior year, she comes to her senses, okay? And we start dating. And look at you now, 25 years later. I mean, my goodness. Finally, she comes to her senses. But I remember, I remember hearing this verse for the first time in a youth group when I was 18, 17 years old. And I thought, man, that fires me up. Any guys in here with me? That just fires me up. I had this view of me, man, just running the show, right? Running the show. Going to marry Jennifer. She's going to wait on me hand and foot. She's going to do everything I tell her to do because after all, I am the king. Y'all gonna sit there and act like you didn't have this theory in your mind, guys, when you read this. I'm the king, and I got the Bible to back me up. Says it right here, look. Man. Man, did I have it wrong or what? Not that I have it wrong in the sense that I don't tell her what to do, she tells me what to do, but I had it wrong in what Paul actually means. He speaks about it in another, about the subject in another letter to the Ephesians, chapter 5 of Ephesians 25 through 27. Listen to this. Husbands, love your wives as, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of the water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or blemish, but holy and blameless. That's a slightly different view than what I had when I was a 17 or 18 year old young man. Men, our job is to love our wives sacrificially as Christ loved the church. I put this in bold letters and big, tall letters, big font. No matter what. 
love your wife as Christ loved the church sacrificially no matter what. Bold letters, exclamation point at the end. We don't get to bow out and, and, and check out when things get tough at the house. Don't let your wife do all the heavy lifting. There's those who are going to try to distort Paul's teachings on submission by giving this unlimited authority to the husband like I had in, in my mind. And there's all types of different theories out there about it, but that's not what the Word of God says. It's just not what it teaches. Real spiritual leadership involves service. Service like Christ showed to the disciples when he washed their feet. That's how you need to love your wife. And you know what? Submission, there's all this stuff going on about gender roles and it's not equality and it's not fair. It's just a bunch of mess. Because you know what? When a husband loves his wife the way that Christ loved the church and she, she returns that love, submission is rarely ever a problem. Ever. Because God created man and woman with distinct roles and characteristics. And it's never really a problem when you love your wife the way you're supposed to. Children, you're not off the hook. Look at verse 20. Young people, kids, there it is right there. Obey your parents in, in some stuff whenever it seems right. That's the way it read when I was your age. Children, obey your parents in everything, comma, for this pleases the Lord. Did you, did, you hear, did you hear that? It says to obey them in everything. Not just when you feel like it or when you think they might actually be right about one thing in their entire life. But in everything. And why? Here's what, here's what you got to get to. Why do I need to obey my parents? Because it pleases the Lord. So when you're mad about it and you're frustrated and you think they're crazy and they're an idiot and they're stupid, they don't know what they're doing. Remember that obeying them pleases the Lord. And not just young people. You know, if you still have your parents, you fall in that category. And again, in the men in verse 21, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Our job is to cultivate their hearts toward God that's what your job is as a parent to cultivate their hearts towards God not be a constant spirit of squ and, a, and a squashing disciplinarian yes you're supposed to discipline your children but not a constant squashing of their spirit Morgan sitting here this morning has had a bunch of big decisions God's done some huge things in his life here in the past couple of weeks but I bet you if we look back on it and have the conversation he would think I wonder, I wonder if the guy who loves me and shows me who God is has squashed my spirit a little bit. I love you, son. It's, it's hard. It's hard, isn't it, parents? It's not, it's not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing. Don't look up here at me thinking, oh, Alan's up there again. They need us to show them who God is, not provoke them and discourage them but to encourage them and then finally we've got God's power to strengthen our work relationships as well verse 22 through 25 bond servants <clears throat> obey in everything those who are your earthly masters not by the way of eye service as people pleasers but with sincerity of heart fearing the Lord whatever you do work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward you are serving the Lord Christ for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done and there is no partiality Anybody been off a little bit for 
holidays. Had a few, few days rest. Had a couple a week to, to lay around on John Street and take vacation. And that's good. We need to relax. But how many of you, when you get to the end of it, I mean, tomorrow's, tomorrow's a work day. What are you thinking? Oh, my gosh. You just lament it, okay? Don't want to have to go back to work. But, man, it's just a, it's just a gift from God. We do need a rest, but the labor that he gives us is a gift from him. And if we can just follow verse 25 and, and work heartily for the Lord and not for men. I've said this so many times to my kids as, a, as they walk out and they're frustrated about something. I say, work unto God and not man. And the people there that you're with, that you're working with every day, guess what they're going to do? They're going to they're see it. They know you're wronged. They know something's not going the way you want it to. They're going to see that you're working unto God and, and not to man. And it's going to give your work relationships, it's going to strengthen them and it's going to be something that you can be a witness to God for. So we've covered a lot, guys. We've been, we've been 25 uh, verses in, in, in chapter three. I, I'd encourage you to go back and just spend some time you know, bathing in this. And as, as we close, I, as I prepared for this message, it was interesting to me, all of the different headings in the Bible translations that I read from chapter three. If you look in your Bible, at the top of most sections, it has a little thing that says what it's about. If you're looking there right now, yours has probably got something on there, but... Some that I read were rules for holy living. This was a good one. Not carnality, but Christ, describing this section. And one of my favorites was what Christians should do. But no matter what the heading is, Paul has given Christians some truths in this letter to the Colossians. So I'd just like to leave you with this. You better act like it. Let's pray.